Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Intertopia. I am your host, Michael. Today, I am continuing Spooky Month here at Intertopia. I'm going to be talking about 2018 Suspiria, and I am also joined by a very special guest, wife of mine, lovely woman, and awesome person, Mariah. <laughs> Greetings. Thank you so much for coming back. Oh, it's a pleasure. You're the guest who has returned the most. I hope you keep that record up. <laughs> Probably will. <laughs> nice. And we're actually doing a movie today. You So far, we've only spoken about music. So yeah. You, so you watch movies. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> nice. Occasionally. Well, I'm so glad uh, you decided to talk about a movie with me. Been looking forward to this for quite a long time. <laughs> As I said, we are talking about Suspiria, the 2018 version. And this is, a, I would say, a favorite of ours. Yes. Is that safe to say? So this is a movie that came on my radar, um, I'd say about 2017. I remember hearing that this movie was getting uh, remade. And I had seen the original at that time. And, you know, I appreciate the original Suspiria. But I wasn't, like, super stoked uh, that they were making a remake. I was like, oh, okay, sure. No one was, really. A lot of people weren't, yeah. Uh, The original is so beloved, in the horror community, people just thought it was blasphemous. A lot of people did. You know, I was more neutral, but I was following it. And then I remember it was like late 2017. I saw this report and it said that Quentin Tarantino cries after watching a cut of Suspiria. So him and the director, Luda Guadagnino, are really good friends, apparently. And they're just big fans of each other, show each other um, their films and whatnot, you know. And I remember reading that headline and that like really, it really struck me. I was like, whoa, Quentin Tarantino cried in, in the Suspiria remake? What? Like, I, I, it just totally uh, made me so, in, so much more interested in the movie just from that little thing alone. Yeah. And I remember you told me about that and that definitely piqued my interest because I love Quentin Tarantino in his movies. I, I saw that as like a big, like a sign of approval coming from someone like him if he was already mm-hmm. excited for the, like like the first cut of the film I, it probably wasn't even the version that we see one thing i really do like about this movie though the director he has said that this version that we see is the version that there the, there's not going to be a director's cut he made the movie that he wanted to make and i think that's really really awesome oh that is so great to hear because that's Kind of rare, unfortunately, mm. in the movie making business from what I, you know, I glean from you right. <laughs> from how it works. But yeah, very little studio meddling. Yeah, that is such a huge problem in films um, in general, but especially horror films with the MPAA. The, <gasps> yeah. Ooh, do I despise them. <laughs> as do I. And as, do, and as does most of Hollywood, I would say, if not all of Hollywood. Once I found out about their existence, I have loathed them ever since. <laughs> yeah. Once I found out what it was and what they do. And- yeah. So if you're not familiar, the MPAA is um, a, it's the board that rates movies, basically, with their arbitrary rules, whether they determine whether a movie is R, PG-13, NC-17, you know, and all that. And... Most studios want their movies to come in. It depends on what kind of movie they're making. If they want, if if the if the intent was to make an R movie, then they want it to be released as R. But that's where the MPAA comes in and makes them take out a lot of stuff. Otherwise, if they don't, it will be NC-17, 
which in turn limits the amount of people that can see it because it's 17 and over, of course. Therefore, less money. So it's just this constant battle between the studios, the directors, and the MPAA. Circling back around to the beginning of this, uh, it's yeah, it's very awesome and very rare that the director got to make the movie that he wanted to make. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Amazon Studios financed this movie. They opened up their movie studios several years ago, uh, competing with Netflix and, and just all the other movie studios. And they made some really, really interesting movies. Yeah, like them, A24, studios like that. I feel like anytime they release a movie, it's always on my radar at the very least. You know, I may not like everything Amazon makes in A24, but... They make some of the most interesting movies out today. Okay, so this movie was released nationwide November 2nd, 2018. We actually saw a limited screening of it. They were showing it in two theaters, one in LA and one in New York. And <laughs> we live 45 minutes away from LA, so we drove up to the Arclight and we saw it uh, October 26th. We saw it a week early and, you know, we both didn't really know what to expect. Uh, we, I think we did see the trailer. The trailer does such a good job of like not letting you know exactly what's going on, but like that it's going to be weird. Yes, <laughs> so, the weird. And then they had me at Tilda Swinton. All right. That Tilda right. Swinton's in it. I'm watching it. I'm seeing it. Yeah, at the very. Like, dude, she is my vibe. <laughs> dude, she is. She's incredible. Oh, I I adore I adore her. Over the past several years, she's like got on my radar and it has become one of my favorite actors period yeah anytime she's in something she's gonna kill it she's gonna be she's so captivating yeah and i love that she looks like david bowie <laughs> yeah. very androgynous just like everything from dr strange oh yeah she is. dude she's incredible she's incredible um but yeah uh, we were excited we were ready for this movie and yeah this was one of like the best movie experiences i've ever had just because of how it was so much better than I was hoping it was going to be. It was such a rich experience watching it in theaters too, especially. Just watching movies in theaters in general is just a different experience. Like It is. More captivating. It's different than watching a movie at your home because you could pause it, go to the restroom, check your phone real quick. And, you know, movie theater requires your full attention. And yeah, this movie's two and a half hours and it flies by. It, this movie is, is so different for me. And the, the reason why I love it is because I usually don't like horror. I stay away from mm. anything horror, anything scary, anything that could possibly scare me. <laughs> but again, I, I went into this being like, I'm doing it for Tilda. <laughs> Quentin liked it and Tilda's in it. So it's just, I, I wanted, I went into it with an open mind and it wasn't even scary. It wasn't that type of horror. It was horror, but it this movie was exactly up my alley. Mm. It yeah. was everything that I enjoyed. It's weird and it's spooky, and it's eerie, and it's unsettling, and I love all of that. And there's like, the occult mm. was involved, like an occult theme, and I I love all of that. So that's why this, this movie is so, I usually don't like movies like this, but I love this movie. It was one of my favorite movies of 2018. 2018 was such a great year. We had Annihilation. Um, we did. Yeah, which which I'm going to talk about one day for sure. Um, Hereditary. Th yeah. Mm -hmm. This movie, uh, I mean, in, for horror, it was a great year. They're not your conjuring type movies. They're, you know, it's not your like jump scare a minute. I can't stand jump scares. That's why I don't watch scary movies. Yeah, because, yeah. I'm very susceptible to them. <laughs> and they <laughs> yeah. work every time for me. And you get the decibels when, when you yell <laughs> on, on those movies. And I don't like screaming. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And, you know, I mean, you guys have probably been able to figure out by now. Like, I do like horror movies, but even then, I don't like all horror movies, and I especially don't like the jump scare a minute ones. Um, I definitely prefer something like this, more psychological, more of a slow burn. Psychological, yes. Yes. Where you have to think and where you have to pay attention. Yes. Those are my favorite kind of movies. Because a movie like this has so many themes going on in it. And it's trying to say a lot. And it's not necessarily beating it over your head. And it's not making it super obvious. And for me, a movie like that is so rewarding. And I love movies like this. A movie that, I'm not going to say requires multiple viewings. But if you do view it multiple times, which I have many times, (laughs) um, you get so much out of it. And you just think about the movie in different ways. Like once you know certain information... And again, that's just the the mark of a of a great movie. Okay, so this movie actually had a pretty sizable budget. It had a twenty million dollar budget, which I was a little surprised to find out. When you watch it, it seems very I don't know bare bones. I guess it feels like it has like a five million dollar budget or something. Yeah, like a medium sized budget, not low budget, not that super high budget, but there are some fantastic effects going on here and excellent set design. So. Um, I'm sure that went that money was <laughs> well spent. So it had twenty million dollar budget. Its total gross at the theaters was seven and a half million dollars, and that's so unfortunate because it is. It didn't even break even. Like it, it didn't even get half of breaking even. That's um, a, a travesty, really. And not not a lot of people saw this movie. Uh, I don't think it was like a lot of interest, really. I think a lot of the fans of the original, there was a good size of them I would see online that were already boycotting yeah boycotting the movie movie? just like thought it was blasphemous can't even imagine the idea of a remake so you already had those people not going and then just the general public you know like horror isn't like like a rom-com or action like a Marvel movie it's not a popular genre you know it's very niche no it's not it's a very niche genre for sure so it (laughs) so definitely lost money Ooh, and it deals with the occult, which is also not an appealing theme. Yeah. Um, a lot of religious people tend to stay away from movies like those. Yeah. I wonder so if it doesn't have mass appeal. Yeah. This movie overall just does not have that mass appeal. Yeah. Unlike The Conjuring, though. Yeah. But The, the Conjuring gets... But that, you know, but that's like the, that's pop horror. That's the jump scare a minute thing that like audiences love. People love that shit. Like some, some people like find that truly scary and that's like their favorite kind of horror movie. And hey, more power to you. I just like something with a little bit more substance. This movie has a rare 65% fresh rating with both the critics and audience ratings. Uh, Usually in movies, especially horror movies, the scores are vastly different. It's either the critics loved it or the audiences hated it. Vice versa. I don't think I've ever seen a movie in Rotten Tomato where the score is exactly the same. I thought that was pretty interesting. Fresh either way, though. So I was I was happy to see that. Um, getting some love, at least. And for you regular listeners out there, you may have noticed by now that I'm not doing the typical formula I do for a movie. Not going to go by scene by scene. Uh, with this movie, there's so much going on. There's so much story going on. I thought it'd be cool to kind of just talk about the characters and... Uh, just uh, individual parts of the movie. I think the theme of motherhood is the strongest theme going on in this movie. Absolutely. Especially with Tilda Swinton's character of um, <laughs> Madame Blanc and Susie. Um, Madame Blanc. <laughs> or uh, Blank, <laughs> for, if it's the 77 one. 
<laughs> we watched the 7071 the other day. Um, this is one of those remakes that another reason why I love this movie. It doesn't matter if you've seen the original or not. It is not essential viewing to watch this movie. No, it's not. You know, it shares the same character names and a couple plot beats here and there. But for the most part, this is its own thing. And it really fleshes out the world and the characters. It's uh, Luca's interpretation. And and I love it. Like, he brings a lot. A lot of his own ideas and his own feeling to this movie. He really does. You know, so much about this movie works. I think all the acting in this movie is very strong. I don't think there's a bad performance in the movie. And that's really refreshing to see in a horror movie. Um, that's another trope with horror movies, just bad acting, poor acting, because yeah. they're usually on a budget and they can't afford great actors. <laughs> so maybe that's where the $20 million budget went. Let's start talking about some of the, some of the cast. Let's start off where, where the movie kind of starts off with uh, Patricia Hingle, played by Chloe Grace Moretz. You know, she's in the movie, I believe, six minutes. She has six minutes total of screen time. Yeah. And she, her acting is very strong for having such a brief amount of time in the movie, I love her distraught and delusional and erratic acting in this opening scene uh, when she's talking to uh, Dr. Clumfer, who we'll get to in a minute. Yeah, yeah, just a very, very captivating performance to start off the movie with. When I first viewed it, I'm like, oh, wow, she's really over the top. She's like really acting super crazy, like super insane. And uh, at first I thought it was over the top, but um after like multiple multiple viewings it kind of makes sense because well as we get into it um this is we're seeing patricia like they say um patricia with a z in this movie it's not patricia the american way it's a very german pronunciation um but it's so funny i love that especially rewatching it recently it has like more swag to it it does (laughs) like i want to say patricia with a z (laughs) (laughs) nice but anywho after many viewings though i realized i took into account her state of mind from what we're seeing and from what she has experienced being in a dance troupe and realizing that her dance troupe is controlled by a bunch of witches mm-hmm. and yes. they were attempting to have her become a vessel for another uh, witch yes. to be in her body. Yeah. And that I'm like, wouldn't that that would drive anyone crazy? Yeah. Finding all of that information out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and also being paranoid. And she was insanely paranoid. She was. I, I, I do know what you mean when you, you know, upon first viewing, you could think like, wow, this is very over the top because we don't know what's going on. No, we don't. Especially with the first time watching it. There's no context. This whole part is not in the original at all. This is all just completely new added stuff. So you're going off of nothing. You're just like, well, yeah, what's going on here? But yes, you're totally right. Once you know that she's... So at this point of the movie, we don't know yet, but she has already run away from the dance academy and they she can hear the voices in her head. She knows that they're trying to take over. And throughout the movie, we see um, her diary being read by by the doctor. And, you know, if you pause it at certain parts and he'll he even says some of what she's writing down in there. Uh, she mentions that they they're trying to get in my head in this opening scene. She tells the doctor that they took my eyes. And um, took so, her hair. 
yeah took, took her, her hair urine. yeah took her urine all this weird stuff and you're just like what but by the end of this scene she does say that they're witches so the movie lets you know right away in the original it was more of a mystery we didn't find out until the end of the movie that it was a coven of witches and um running the dance academy uh this movie just <laughs> right away lets you know so yeah it definitely gives you more context for her performance but even then, I think she plays crazy really well. <laughs> I liked her playing crazy. She's been in a lot of different horror movies, though. She has. Yeah, she was in the uh, the Amityville remake with Ryan Reynolds. She was a very young kid in that one. Also, the Carrie remake, she played Carrie. But she's such a fantastic actor. I think that she's only getting better with age. This movie really put her back on my radar. So I guess next in the movie, we are introduced to the lead character, Susie Banyan, played by Dakota Johnson. When I found out that she was cast in the movie, uh, that's what initially added to my indifference because of how I already stood on the original. And then Dakota Johnson, I was like, oh, the Fifty Shades of Grey chick? Like, oh, okay, sure. Like, she was another actress that was not on my radar. Uh, yeah, I was shocked. I'm like, oh, the, the Fifty Shades of Grey yeah. lady. I'm like, that's interesting, but okay, sure. And she is incredible in this movie. She gave one of the most riveting performances in this movie, and that's saying a lot because she starred opposite of Tilda Swinton. Yeah. She blew, every, like, Fifty Shades of Grey, everything I knew about her before, out of the water. Like, this is what I know her from now. You know, Dakota Johnson, for those of you who may not know, her uh, parents, her mother is Mel- Melanie Griffith, and her father is Don Johnson, Miami Vice himself. <laughs> so she has that uh, acting blood, I guess, in her. And at first, watching this movie... I was not completely blown away with her acting because she seems very, I'm not going to say one note, but she's very like subtle, especially when she first arrives at the uh, dance academy in this movie. Very timid, not very commanding. And the transformation she does by throughout this movie, and especially at the end of the movie, like the last 20 minutes, uh, she's just fully embodied and embraced this new character and she's very strong, very commanding. All the times I've seen the movie, just watching her gradual change is uh, very impressive, very subtle. Yeah, again, uh, I really love Dakota Johnson in this movie. Okay, let's talk about Tilda. <laughs> Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton plays three characters in this movie, which is insane. She plays Madame Blanc. She plays Dr. Joseph Kempler. Uh, so, and she plays Helena Marcos. So the, let me talk about the doctor real quick. When this movie's trailer came out, it had the doctor listed as Lutz Eberdorf. And a lot of journalists were asking the everyone involved in the movie, like, who is this person? And the creators of this movie went so far as to make an IMDb page for Lutz. And so Lutz is played by Tilda Swinton, but even throughout the promotion of this movie, when this movie got released, everyone was still saying that Lutz was a real person, you know? So it's Tilda Swinton in this like heavy prosthetic makeup, but it looks like an old man. When you hear the doctor speak, the voice kind of doesn't match the body. You know, it it sounds very effeminate, I would say. Um, Very young. Yeah, right? Like, it's very off-putting. You're just like, whoa. But I knew that Tilda was playing uh, the doctor before the movie came out. I don't... Actually, I think 
that information, she let it sl- uh, slip a little bit in an interview. So people were like, no, it's Tilda. But then, yeah, after the movie came out, Tilda officially said it was her. But yeah, that's the second character she plays. She plays this male. And I love that. <laughs> I love that this woman was embodying this male character. And he's just, he's this super old man, like, going to die any day now. <laughs> Um, very frail. You know, I was very surprised that they gave the doctor such a deep backstory with his wife who got separated during the Nazi invasion. Well, that's another reason why I I like this movie so much is that this entire world is flushed out so well. Yes. There's so many details in the characters' lives that we know about. This world seems so full and I don't feel like there's anything missing. No. Yeah, it's rare when a side character gets this much plot, but it really pays off in the end at that epilogue. You know, it's such a shame Tilda Swinton did not get recognized at the Academy. This movie didn't get recognized at the Academy, um, actually, but... Well, that's why I can't stand the Academy, because they tend to gloss over the entire genre of horror. That epilogue is so powerful. It's one of my favorite scenes of of the movie, um, when Susie is at, at this point, Susie is fully embraced uh, Mother Suspiriorum, and she goes and tells the doctor exactly what happened to his wife. And Tilda like doesn't say a word through all those pro- prosthetics and makeup. You could see it like in her eyes, like she, you feel her pain in that moment, and it it blows me away <laughs> every time I see it. When I was watching it the other day, it was moving really. That just goes to show how great of an actor Tilda Swinton is when you can do something like that. That's uh, quite a feat. Yes. Oh, and then when we find out what happens to his wife, Anka, that was satisfying for us, the viewer, too, because now we finally know. So the epilogue is between Susie and the doctor, and I think it's just such a strong way to end the movie. Uh, Very powerful and also beautiful. It's a haunting ending, but also beautiful (laughs) and also satisfying. it's, Mm -hmm. It's so... When this movie ends, I'm like, like, it's just such a satisfying, it's like taking a drink of like that first, whatever your favorite beverage is out there, people fill in the blank. For me, it's Dr. Pepper. (laughs) Getting that first swig of Dr. Pepper, you're just like, yeah, that's, that's, that's this movie for me at the end. Tilda plays, uh, Madame Blanc and I, dude, Madame Blanc in this movie is very enigmatic at first and also magnetic. There's something about her performance where you just can't not look at Tilda as Madame Blanc. Um, just with her her thin body and long, straight, super long, straight hair. Um, she looks like the coolest witch you've ever seen. Without being overtly witchy looking. Yeah. There's like a subtle, a powered, like she she knows that she has all this power, so she doesn't need to flaunt, flaunt it. She doesn't need to give it away. And yeah. even her dress. And then Tilda's third character is Helena Marcos, who we don't really get to see until the last act of this movie. And Helena Marcos is one of the most grotesque and repulsive creatures, I guess, I've ever seen. She's a creature. I've yeah. ever seen in, in a movie. Uh, the makeup on, on her is incredible absolutely incredible when we see marcos at the end she's nude like there's like these boils with like pus coming out and just like liquids leaking around and like 
Oh my yeah. god, it looks. She looks grotesquely juicy. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Like I'm like I don't want to smell her. <laughs> no. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> that must have been so fun for Tilda to play three characters, three vastly diverse characters. But she does such a great job in all three roles. Um, I love that two of the roles she's just covered in heavy makeup. So at the end, ritual. Her character of Dr. Joseph Klemperer, he has to be witness to the ritual going on, and they strip him nude, and Tilda has on a prosthetic penis and, and balls. <laughs> I just, I love that. I'm like, she must have loved that. <laughs> and she, throughout the, the filming, whenever she was Dr. Klemper, she was wearing that prosthetic penis yeah. and balls. Yeah, she was. She totally was. <laughs> Even though you couldn't see it, it was in the pants. I love that. <laughs> I, I mean, that's. I feel like that's what a good actor would do to really get into the part. Like, and then it helps, like your gait too. Mm-hmm. Walking as because it's it's so different. Yeah, walking as a woman versus walking as a man. I imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So I mean, just uh, strong leads in this movie, and you know, some of the side characters. I guess we could kind of just go through them real quickly. Um, we have Sarah, played by Mia Goth. And, you know, I really like Mia Goth in this movie, really like the, the character of Sarah. I feel like her character, like you believe her friendship with Susie in this movie um, way more than the one in the original. The one in the original is kind of like they just get bunked up with each other and it's like, okay, we're friends now. But yeah, this one, they really feel like best friends, like they really um, are drawn to each other. And... This is my first time being exposed to Mia Goth. I guess she's been in a couple other things before. One of them was a movie with uh, the director, Luca Guadagnino. So he must have liked her and, you know, brought her back for this one. But yeah, I like her. I think she's I think she's solid in this movie. We When we were watching it the other day, we were trying to figure out if she had eyebrows or not. But They the, were just very blonde. <laughs> yeah, and at certain angles, the lighting, it looks like she has no eyebrows. But yeah, she's great. We also have Miss Tanner, played by Angela Winkler in this movie, and uh, Miss Vendegast. <laughs> Dude, I love I love Miss Vendigas in this movie. Um, I love when she answers the door when the police come, and she's like, "Oh, uh, is Madame Blanc here?" And she's like, "I am she." <laughs> um, yeah. She doesn't have a big role in this movie, uh, definitely, but like, she's like my favorite of like the side witches in this movie, the side instructors. Yeah, she doesn't have a big role, but it's memorable. It really is, man. She yeah. leaves an impression. Yeah, uh, there's just something about like her hairstyle and like. She just dresses, like, when we watched it the other day. Um, and she I, sings aloud freely. Yeah. Um, the other day when we watched it, um, the note I took when I saw her was bougie. <laughs> <She's> just, <laughs> like, yeah. But I, I love her. She's great. Another person we should really talk about is Olga. Olga is played by actress Elena Fokina. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your name. She has the scene of the movie. Yes, I also <laughs> made a note. I think she has the second most graphic scene in the movie. Because I was like, I was going to put that she has the most uh-huh. graphic scene. But I was like thinking about the end, the uh, ceremony at the end. And uh-huh. I'm like, that's the most graphic. Yeah. So like I said, this is the scene of the movie. I think when, when you walk away from this movie, if you walk away with one thing, it's like, oh shit, that Olga scene was ridiculous. So unique. This is one of the goriest most visceral disturbing scenes I've ever seen in a movie um, as many times as I've seen this movie I I never fail to say damn or ooh <laughs> during this scene um, it's so insanely well executed 
Um, so Olga's scene, if you're not familiar with it, so Susie is saying that um, she's willing to dance Volk. So Madame Blanc has her audition, basically. And Susie starts killing it, doing a good job. And then we see Madame Blanc put, uh, do a spell on Susie. She's like, she she like touches her pressure points like in her hands and in, in her feet. And then when she... No, she just touches the center of her palms and then the sides of her feet. The sides of her feet, yeah. And then when she lets go, we see this little white glow. Now we know that she was uh, placing a spell on Susie that... Susie's movements of the dance were connected to Olga and in this scene like how do you even explain this scene like well the reason why the spell was put on Olga was because she publicly called them witches she publicly called the dance teachers witches because Patricia Chloe Grace who we saw at the beginning of the movie she had run away from the troop but the teachers kept insisting that she was expelled because that's what they told Susie Banyan when Susie Banyan first got to the dance troupe. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're exactly right. That's why they put the spell on Susie. So the way that the spell works is that the moves that Susie's doing in the dance are corresponding with what's happening to Olga. Like, so when Susie's doing like these twists and turns in her dance, we see Olga's body <laughs> becoming... Contorting in the same way. Yeah, and Olga is clearly out of control she's freaking out she knows that the witches have done something to her and we we get like the scene goes on for over three minutes of olga's body just turning into a pretzel like her ribs pop out of her side and that effect looks really good and realistic back bends backwards uh her arms like twisting over her head and so this actress is actually a contortionist in real life so she was able to do a lot of these things but then they did add some like like a fake arm and stuff it looks so real lucas said that he wanted very minimal cgi yes in this scene mm-hmm. so and i think that decision was fantastic i wholeheartedly agree with that decision and it worked with it because if they leaned to or they relied too heavily on cgi it would have had a completely different effect it would have taken you out of the scene if i remember correctly i i believe there's no cg in the scene it's all practical and well no he said very minimal and i can see that with the ribs Oh, okay. And when they're right, showing the, right. the ribs and it was extending. That looks really well done, though. I, right? Like, wow. Very, that's what minimal looks like, where yeah. you can hardly tell. I know the most of the CG was used in... So the room where this is happening to Olga, it's uh, it's also where Susie was auditioning in the beginning of the movie. It's, it's all mirrors. It's a it, room of mirrors. It looks so cool, but that is where he also used CG, to, so, you, so you couldn't see the camera and the crew. Because I was wondering all the times I've seen the movie up until I found that out I was like how did they do that um that's CG <laughs> brilliant use of CG right there that's when CG should be used so, right yeah to cover up um stuff like that that would otherwise be impossible to do practically Olga's getting twisted you can hear the bones crunching like the sound design in this movie is so good I wanted to talk about that too um real briefly it's like raining this whole movie and throughout this whole movie in the background, you constantly hear rain pattering everywhere. And I love that. It, it was more pronounced in the movie theater. But uh, even here uh, on our little home TV, it, you're still able to hear it. Um, 
just really, really good sound design. And especially in this scene when her bones are crunching, it, oh my gosh, it's so painful. Like I said, you watch it and you're like, ah. <laughs> and at one point she pisses herself. Yes. Oh, oh my goodness. When she urinates on herself. Oh man. It, that is beyond realistic. Yeah. Like, wow, that would really happen. Right. And then, like, there's just some, like, saliva, I guess, just leaking out of her mouth, too. Like, her jaw gets all disjointed. And, it, it, you know, like, if you are repulsed by what we were saying, it is repulsive, <laughs> we're telling you. But there's just something about it. I love watching this scene, though. It's just, I think because of how realistic it looks and, like, unforgiving the whole scene is. It's Because um, it's brightly lit as well. Yeah. It's, like, it's it doesn't... You know, it cuts away between um, Susie dancing and what's happening to Olga. But because I was going to say it doesn't really cut away from what's going on. And to a degree, it doesn't cut away. Like you see her back breaking. You see her urinating herself. But yeah, very, very visceral, very in your face. Um, That and, you know, I just got to say that's one of my favorite scenes in any horror movie ever. Um, Just be just for the sheer brutality of it and the execution. Maybe that says a lot about me (laughs) in my mental state, but it's uh, it's so cool. Okay, let's talk about one more character. Let's talk about Susie's mom slash death. She is played by actress Malgosa Bella. So we see her as Susie's mom in the opening credits. She looks like she's literally about to die. Great acting and great makeup, I guess. But man, right? And the way she's breathing too, it sounds like size. Yes, it she, does. Almost as if she's the mother of size. Mm. Mm. At, at the end of the movie, at the last ritual, Susie proclaims to be Mother Suspiria. Death gets summoned and is played by the actress who plays Susie's mom. And... It looks very creepy. Death looks scary. She's shrouded in black. She's a completely black being with like long stringy hair and long pointy fingernails. Yeah, it look, she looks evil. And slimy. Yeah, it looks so evil. But yes, that last ritual scene is, uh, th- that it's my favorite scene of the movie. How to describe what's going on in this scene. So it's a bunch of naked people <laughs> dancing very erratically and the older witches are dressed in some sort of ritual costume i guess and but they're dressed in hair in the hair of all the dancers yeah that's right you caught that i did great eye by the way yeah i never noticed that. I, I always just noticed that like what they're wearing was really weird Figured it had to do with the ritual. It was like flesh colored, but you realize it's blonde. It's very it's like blonde and mm. black hair and red red hair. Yeah. Um, and they're all dressed in it. Well, the yeah, the, yeah, the older um, witches or yes. ins- or instructors, you know. Um, yeah. So so you have them dressed up, and then there's like this one older witch like doing this weird. Like Tibetan chanting, oh, throat no. singing, yeah, like type thing, really low, and I just remember watching this for the first time, just thinking, what the fuck is going on, or like, what's gonna happen? And this is the ceremony where they are going to transfer Mother Marcos's being, I guess, into Susie. It's gonna overtake Susie's body because she's she has a younger body and all that, and it's part of the ritual. And this is where things go haywire. This is where this is where we find out that Susie is in fact Mother Suspiriorum. So in this movie, uh, Mother Marcos is claiming to be 
Mother Suspiriorum. And then... And Madame Blanc takes issue, like, yeah. in the middle of the movie. Like, I thought we agreed to stop calling her... To not call her mother. Yeah, because if she really was, we wouldn't be in this position. Yes, which shows that the word mother is a very powerful term mm. and title. Yes. Which I like. Yeah, so, like, it all leads up to this point, you know. So we have uh, Madame Blanc, very suspicious and dubious. When the ceremony is starting... She's telling Susie, like, you don't have to do this. And she's like, no, like, I want I want this. And this is where Mother Marcos, she kills Tilda Swinton by, she, like, she does, like, this force thing. And it causes Tilda's head to get halfway decapitated, which I was like, no, Mother Marcos is so cool. <laughs> but, but her head tilts forward and it's still connected. Yes. But it's severed at the, the spine. Yes. The neck. Yeah, it's not fully severed that effect does use cg which i was a little disappointed in um every time i've seen it i'm like man you could have they probably did use practical blood but maybe didn't show up dark enough or bright enough or i don't know whatever and then it's at that point where mother marcos is telling Susie, think of your mother reject her and accept me she says forsake all other mothers yes and she's like think about the, the the woman who bore you and then we get a flashback Susie thinks about her mother on the deathbed and everything turns red in that room. And then we cut back to the the ritual going on. And then we this is where we see death summoned. So, you know, in a way, Susie thought about her mother and killed her off in her mind. But not to accept Mother Marcos, but maybe to fully embrace Mother Suspiriorum. And, you know, that's a question that I've always had with this movie um, that I'm still not quite sure of is how long has Susie been mother suspiriorum because by the end of the movie she is fully mother suspiriorum she's fully embraced that witch and you know throughout the movie we see little flashbacks of her when she was a child and she's like looking at a map and she's circling berlin and and her sister's like no Susie, we got to study this suggesting that she always had the urge to go to berlin i think this the spirit has been part of her since childhood Mm. And how she felt compelled to go see Madame Blanc perform mm-hmm. Volk in New York. She ran away. Yep. Like, she felt that strange compulsion to do that, and nothing else told her. Yeah. And there's also one of those weird flashbacks where her mom is saying that her, like, what does she regret? And it's like, uh, my daughter, she's the sin of the world. I was like, whoa, like, what does that mean? So, like, the. The mom knew something at birth of Susie that she's evil. And, yeah. You know, it has an evil spirit about her. Yeah. And we never find out why, why we just, you know, it's just, that's, that's the thing. That's one of the things I love about this movie is that, you know, I've thought about this so much, but. Right. Yeah. And how Susie, too, of all of her family members, she's seemingly completely abandoned her religion. Mm-hmm. She has no belief. Yeah. And her, and she was, grew up in a very conservative household. Um, Mennonites. Mennon, yes, that's right. Mennonites. Yeah, so that's just one of the things with this movie that it's always, uh, the closest thing I've come to is I don't believe Susie is fully, I, I believe she's like 50-50 herself, Susie Banyan, and then the spirit of Mother Superiorum, that's what led her there to Berlin. And by the end of this movie, she fully... She's fully self-actualized. Yes. As Mother Suspiriorum. Like, it finally comes out. Yes. The Susie Banyan that she knew, as she she thought she knew, is gone. Mm Mm-hmm. The the true spirit lives within her now. 
And, and then, you know, again, that's what Mother Marcos was claiming to be. She was claiming to be the, I guess, reincarnation of uh, Mother Suspiriorum. But then, we, yeah, we get the bombshell dropped on us that Susie, it's Susie, actually. I did not see that coming in the theaters. I was like, what? That's certainly- And Madame Blanc was right the whole time. Yeah. Oh, man. that I did not see that coming. That most certainly is not a plot point in the original. So I definitely didn't see that coming. Yeah. So then death gets summoned and we get this. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is, is this whole scene, really. But within it is when death is killing everyone that voted earlier in the movie for Mother Marcos over Blanc. Death just points at someone and then their head explodes like a freaking like like you're popping a freaking water balloon and but it filled with blood. Yeah. <laughs> it's so grotesque. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, and then like and then oh but then Death kills Marcos by kissing Marcos, which I thought was cool. And like Marcos it, it starts vomiting blood <laughs> and like and dies and it's crazy. And then when that happens, the witches start dancing even more frantically and erratically. Yeah. And there's something about the scene that's so, obviously it's very dark with all, all these deaths going on with these naked people going, going around. Um, and then Susie very graciously asks uh, Patricia, Olga and Sarah how they want to die. And they all say, or no, what they want. And they all say they want to die. And there's something about this that is, man, it gets me every single time. Like it's really... I know I say it a lot, but it, with this movie, it's true. It's very haunting um, the way she asked them, what do you want? And like, because they're dead, but from what I gather, the witches kept them alive. So it's like they're they're existing in this purgatory where they're still in their body, but they're just miserable and they all want to die. None of them asked to come back to life or like save me or anything. They just like out die. I want to die. But Susie kills them graciously. Uh, Olga touches her, puts lays her down. Um, Chloe Grace Moretz, and then she goes to Sarah. She's like, "Sweet girl, what do you want?" And she's like, "To die." And then she dies in her arms, and it's like twisted, but like sad and beautiful at the same time. And shows such a humanizing aspect toward like this is a super powerful witch. Yeah, and she's showing compassion to these three. Yeah, almost empathetic. Yeah, just the complexities of this, like, seemingly otherworldly being. Yeah. And also showing, like, human compassion and concern for yeah. these these three humans. Mm-hmm. And I think, a lot, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Susie being a human, you know, like, at that first half of the movie, not fully this spirit. So she knew, she saw their good side and she knew that they were genuine. Yeah, there's something, yeah, there's something about the scene you can't look away from it. No. It's very captivating. It's a very captivating scene. In 2018, we had this movie and then Hereditary, which also features a very out there and ritualistic occult scene going on at the end. Yeah, 2018 was the year of witches and the occults. We haven't gotten into it yet, but let's talk about the score. We have Tom York doing the score. This is his Tom York of Radiohead. This is his first movie score the director luca he approached tom several times to score this film and tom uh he refused he didn't want to he had never done it he didn't think he was capable really johnny greenwood who's the guitarist in radiohead he has scored quite a few films um a lot with uh paul thomas anderson um there will be blood and all that stuff so he has a lot more experience uh doing actual film scores johnny greenwood is a really great composer so i could kind of understand where tom was coming from like 
man, I got to compete with Johnny. Like, you know, but I really, really love what Tom York does with this score. You know, at first it was weird um, when we saw this movie, when I, when I heard Tom York sing, because Johnny Greenwood does not sing in his scores. He just has the music. And that's what I was expecting from this movie. You know, I will say the first time I saw it, I was not 100% on board. I remember thinking like, man, I wish he didn't sing. I wish he was just, just the music. Um, I have grown to really uh, love the songs that he does sing in this movie, especially the track in the opening credits. It's uh, kind of like the soft piano ballad, but it's also creepy and it has this mood and vibe to it. And I do think it sets up the film really well. And also I like that Tom York did not try to replicate uh, the 77 score by Goblin because that is probably what that movie is most known for. But I think it was a wise choice. I think Tom York... I think I, I really like everything he does in this movie. Um, I like all of his score choices. Earlier in the movie, we see Dr. Klemfer walking to his country home. And the name of that track is called Klemfer Walks. And the score is very uh, melancholy and warm. Um, and very creepy synths happening there. I hear, there's a lot of great tracks uh, in this movie. Um, one of my favorite tracks is Volk. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. That's my favorite one, too. So Volk is the main dance that the witches are going to do. So in the movie, that is supposed to be the public ceremony where Susie gets uh, the transference of souls, I guess, between Susie and Mother Marcos. Mm -hmm. That's what was supposed to happen. Yeah, the the music going on there is so cool. Like Tom York's score is like super dynamite at that part. Very fire. It's 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 this weird fusion of jazz and like doomy psychedelia it's really weird but it's hypnotic and uh transcendent with the keyboards they had such a perfect atmosphere for the dance yeah you know overall i love tom york's score is it like one of the greatest scores i've ever heard in my life no absolutely not but i think it's the perfect score for this movie i am so neutral on this i don't really care for it at all I don't get it, and I don't get why Luca wanted him particularly to do this, but that's just the director's choice. And But it's funny because with Annihilation, I could not stand that score mm. either. Like, I, I have trouble with scores, and for me, <laughs> yeah. I always lean, I always want everything to be more upbeat and synthy, always. That's what I look for. Well, it'll be hard in a horror movie to find an upbeat right, <laughs> score. Right, right. Yeah. But, um... It did bring a melancholic vibe very effectively, so I do appreciate that, but I don't know. Not, your, nev- not your favorite. Not my favorite. I've, I've never been a fan of Radiohead or Tom York. Yeah. Blasphemous. I know a lot of people will discredit me right then and there, but <laughs> it's okay. Hey, it's yeah. Me. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, like, like I said, the score is it's not the greatest. It's definitely not bad. Like I said, I think for the movie, it, it, it works just fine. It works just yeah. fine. He has a lot of little um, brief, like little pan- piano, like creepy little repetitive things, I think work, you oh, know? yeah. You know, like little stuff like that. Like he mm-hmm. has little touches. And another little touch that I really like that he did when Susie is auditioning in the beginning, uh, she's like uh, twirling in circles. And then we just hear this synth with like, it's like this arpeggio synth, like, like as she's spinning and then she stops and then the synth stops. It's just this weird little thing that he did, but like I thought it was like so ingenious. And so, yeah, speaking of Volk, let's talk about the dance choreography in this movie. I think it is at its peak with the Volk performance. I mean, the whole movie really is kind of leading up to that. That 
performance is such a treat to watch like from the costumes that everyone's wearing with those like red stringy what would you call that rope almost Mm. rope like yeah their dance is it's so like avant-garde and like radical and you know this movie's taking place in 77 Mm -hmm. so just to think that like i don't know just putting myself like I can only imagine how that would have <laughs> played in out. In Berlin, 1977 yeah. in Berlin. Yeah, but it, it's really, really well done. That sequence goes on for like uh, f- like four minutes at least. And during that scene too, we also get another one of the most grotesque scenes in the movie. Uh, Sarah That's is, right. Mia Goth is walking around investigating and a hole magically appears in the floor as she's like walking back. She runs into uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, who is like all decrepit and like, looks like uh mother, she's decomposing as well but kept alive yeah and sarah sees her and it's like oh my god and like that's where she runs back and this is all happening right at the start of the volk performance and then yeah a hole just appears because well, the act is it's broke this movie's broken down into acts yeah six acts yeah and this act is called all the floors are darkness that's exactly what it is like these holes open up in the floor these holes of darkness yeah like that is so witchy <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is witchcraft right there that's so cool and she her leg falls in there and then her shin breaks through her leg and we see it happening and it looks so real like I, that was practical that oh my gosh every time we see that movie or every time we see that part we both are like oh we wince <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh it is so great and she's just wailing in pain agonizing pain and it's just like and she moves it a little and more crunching oh yeah and oh my gosh and then the witches come and then they instantly heal it and then they possess her and she starts doing the dance. This whole sequence is out of control. It's just uh, from the music that's going on. Um, to, to go real, to go back real quick to um, uh, Tom York and the score. Uh, Tom York, all the drums you hear in his score is actually his son playing drums. And the drumming going on at the end of Volk is like this crazy offbeat, jazzy, this insane beat going on. That coupled with the hypnotic creepy piano that Tom York has, it just makes for like the perfect creepy dance music <laughs> like for, for, for that Volk performance. It's quite a movie. It is quite the, it's quite the watch. It's a, it's a healthy watch at two and a half hours. <laughs> but I think if you, this is a movie that you, if, if you're going to, pl- if you're planning on watching it, you got to give it your full attention. Got to put the phone down. You have to put the phone down. You know, I, I feel like there's so much story going on. There's so many between the doctor and Susie and the terrorist side plot that's going on, running parallel with this movie. There's so much going on. And there's so much to love and appreciate with this movie. And that's that's why I love this movie. I've seen this movie, <laughs> I'm not even embarrassed to say, like over 15 times. I saw it five times in theaters. Bought it immediately the day it came out on Blu-ray. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and I've seen it like at least 10 times since. Um, most, at least. Yeah. Uh, most times not with Mariah. But like, I, I love trying to figure out this movie. Like even the first time I saw it, it's clear enough. You know what happens at, from point A to point B. But there's these little side things and these little scenes and questions and you know that arise from multiple watches. I love that. Those are my favorite kind of movies. I, uh, movies like this rank very high for me. It's not disposable. No, it is not. 
There's a lot of substance. It's trying to say a lot, and it does say a lot. And I think it executes it very, very well. For me, this is a masterpiece of a movie. This is an A+. Highly recommend it to any fans of horror. And if you're a fan of the original and you haven't seen this, you are really missing out. This is a great movie. And the director, he really has so much love and admiration for the original. And he doesn't tarnish it. He doesn't step on it. He doesn't, he doesn't ruin anything. He doesn't ruin what came before. He only adds to the world and the mythology. And he makes it very clear that he has a deep and profound respect for the original. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, this movie is the kind of remake where you don't even have to have seen the original because they're so vastly different. This movie really holds up well on its own. As for me, I would ask that anyone who is like a diehard fan of the original go into this with a completely open mind. Just forget for like two and a half hours that the original doesn't exist. Pretend that it wasn't a remake. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's just say, just pretend, go into it like this is a brand new movie and let's not even, let's not try to pretend that Luca was actually doing a shot for shot remake. Just a, it's it's just a reimagining and it's a it's a retelling of a story that this director really loved and it and it really impacted him in his life. He loved it so much that he felt compelled to make a a version of it that he identified with and oh and he said that he he made this movie in this way because it's what this movie made him feel and it and it affected him greatly as a director and I'm just like you know what I love projects with passion like that behind it yes i love 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 it when a director takes on a project that has such meaning such a deep meaning and deep value to them because you can see it in every shot of this film just the details and how he wouldn't give up on tom york like he had a vision he, he had and this artistic vision he knew what he wanted Yes, he knew what he wanted. He knew his vision. He knew what he he saw, and he brought it to life spectacularly. Ugh, I feel so sorry for all those people who just refused to see this movie, just because of their love for the first one. Just, but that's just me imploring everyone I know to just open their minds a little bit more. Like it's a good movie. Yeah, it's a really great movie. It's a great horror movie. It's a great movie just in general very well acted like we said as you said it was a passion project for the director and it really shows the attention to detail and so many scenes and the story it's it's worth the investment absolutely it, yeah absolutely yes and with that that is Suspiria 2018 what did you guys think about our review let us know on our Facebook page you can find us at Intertopia Instagram Intertopia Podcast Leave us your thoughts. Have you seen this movie? What do you think? Have you seen the original? What do you think? I wish more people had seen this movie because I would love to dive into it like with theories and just just to talk about it. It's so much fun. I love talking about uh, movies and music that I really, really love and other people really love because it's, it's just it's so stimulating. But yeah, that's going to be it for today. Thank you so much, Mariah, for stopping by and chatting with me about this movie. <laughs> I'm glad we got to do it publicly. <laughs> yes. I, um, oh. <laughs> fuck it, we'll do it live. <laughs> I always enjoy talking about the things we love together. It's so fun.
It is. But yes, if anybody else wants to talk about this movie with us, we are more than happy to do that. This is a phenomenal film. Like, I don't even talk that much about movies, but yes, I wanted to be on this one particularly. I, I adore this movie and I do not like horror, but I love creepy and I like witches and I love the occult. <laughs> oh, you get those in spades with this movie. Yes. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening to this. Very much appreciated. And I will be back next week with a surprise episode. I don't know what it's going to be yet. That's why it's a surprise. But uh, look out for that. Follow me on the socials and, and you will know what's coming out. So with that said, thank you guys so much for listening. Everybody take care and I will see you guys next time. Bye. <laughs>